we all came back. Thank you. That's awesome. So, so good to see you all again tonight. I was asked if I was going to be able to get through the rest of my points, and I'm going to try. All right? So I had six to start out with. I only got through two last week, so I'm going to do my best to get through four tonight, okay? So you all hang on with me. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, we were talking last week about what it means to be a follower of Christ. So this is part two. How about that? The sequel, I guess. All right, so we were looking at six different areas, examples of Jesus's life while he was walking on this earth. And these are examples for us to imitate as followers of him. Last week, we looked at how Jesus interacted with non-believers. We looked at how Jesus interacted with believers. And I pointed out um, that he was dealing so much with those that were considered great spiritual leaders of the time, the spiritually elite. And I drew us into being spiritually elite. Maybe we're not in a leadership position, but um, we are still spiritually elite because look at what all we have. We have so much at our fingertips. We all have our phones. Our phones are full of Bibles and different versions of the Bible and scriptures. And if we want to look up something, a book or a commentary or anything like that, it's there in our hands. We are so, so fortunate and blessed to have that. We looked at how Jesus interacted and responded to the non-believer with compassion He reminded those that were around him that the purpose and the reason that he had come was to seek and to save that which was lost. He looked at them as a sheep without a shepherd. We looked at how Jesus interacted and responded to the spiritual leaders and how he confronted them concerning their selfishness, their greed, their arrogance. He confronted their pettiness and all of their do's and don'ts of the laws that actually were doing more harm than they were doing good. And then we ended with the challenge of Ephesians 5 verses 1 through 2 that says, therefore become imitators of God. As well, beloved children, and walk continually in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, offering and sacrifice to God a sweet fragrance. So tonight we are going to try to get through these, and we are going to look at how Jesus interacted with those in need how Jesus interacted with those in need. He interacted with the sick. The poor, children, and women. And I want to bring out children and women, and you'll see why as we get further um, through this, because women and children were considered some of the least during that time. So in Matthew 26, 11, and in Mark 14, 7, and John 12, 8, Jesus says, you will have the poor with you always. And in Mark 12, 41 through 44, we have this story that many of us are very familiar with. And it says that Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, but a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. 
And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. And in verse 44, he says, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I think it's so interesting that is Jesus was sitting there and he called his disciples over because he wanted to make a point with what he had just seen. He had watched the rich come and contribute large sums of money, but it was when the widow came and put in two small coins that Jesus called over his disciples. Jesus saw the humble gift of the poor widow and thought that her gift was worthy of comment. And it was the gift the disciples needed to be aware of. It was the humble gift of the poor that caught Jesus's attention, not that of all the rich who came before her. Jesus said that she had given more than anyone else. She had given out of true sacrifice and out of faith. She gave out of the faith that even her small amount could be used for God. And she gave out of the last of her money all she had to live on. Surely she was a woman of faith to have given all she had to live on. She must have believed that somehow, some way, God would provide. And she took that faith and she put it into action. She had faith that she would give that and it would be to God's honor. Also, we want to think about how Jesus talked just a little bit before that when he was talking to the scribes, and we mentioned this last week, about how Jesus rebuked the scribes for devouring widows' houses. And here he was watching a widow give into the treasury of all that she had. He noticed her. Let's also look real quick at how Jesus interacted with the sick it was in Matthew 4, 23 that we read, and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. There was not one affliction, one disease, or one sickness that was beyond Jesus's ability to heal. He was able to heal each and every one of those. And in Matthew 15, 30, a large crowd came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And he laid them, he laid, sorry, and they laid them down at his feet and he healed them. But of course, here's the scribes and the Pharisees, some of the ones we were talking about last week, and they were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. For if he healed on the Sabbath, that was equal to him working, and working was not allowed on the Sabbath according to Jewish law. But here Jesus had another rebuke for them. In Mark 3, 5, Jesus says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to save life or to kill? And they kept silent. 
I loved how he could rebuke them and they were left speechless. I love that. In Mark 10, we see Jesus's interaction with children. I love what Tim shared with us tonight about the little ones singing around the table. Jesus loves me. That is awesome. For in verse 13 of Mark 10, then they brought young children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. He blessed them. In Jewish culture of the day, they probably did not see children in the most optimistic way. This is some of what the things that I was finding as I was studying. And the disciples most likely rebuked those who were bringing the children to Jesus because they felt that they, those kids were probably bothering Jesus. Or it was maybe even socially improper for these people to be bringing their children to this, this teacher, this wise man. But Jesus wanted the children to come to him. And not only did he want them to come to him, he blessed them. I think he, he made a point when he took them into his arms and he put his hands on them and blessed them. It was almost like an extra step. They're not just going to be here. No, come on, come a little closer. Let's make this point known that I want you here. In scripture, we see Jesus's interaction with women during a time and a culture that treated women as those that should be unheard. In fact, everything that Jesus did and said with respect to women, get this, this was really interesting, was radically countercultural within Jewish as well as Greco-Roman society. Jewish men, okay, I gotta take a moment. This would not set very well with most women today. Jewish men had a morning prayer thanking God they weren't slaves, Gentiles, or women. That's what they thought of them. Greek thinkers had a similar prayer thanking God they weren't beast, barbarians, or women. Now, ladies, how would you like to have to be in a culture like that today? Could you imagine? But Jesus's attitude could not have been more different. In Galilee, Jesus encountered a woman who has suffered from chronic hemorrhaging for 12 years. And according to Jewish law, she is considered very unclean. 
And anyone who was around her, they also had to be treated as one who was unclean. And they had to go through certain rituals to then allow themselves to be clean again. So it was a big deal. She likely lived alone so that she would not make others unclean. Can you imagine how lonely that would have to be? Can you imagine the stigma of people who knew her or knew of her whenever they saw her? Can you imagine their reaction? Get away from me. I don't want to be around you because if I'm around you, then I'm considered unclean and I can't do that because then I have to go through the ritual to become clean again. In her desperation, she approached Jesus from behind in a large crowd, hoping to be healed by touching the hem of his garment and then slip away unnoticed. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, she said. And you know that she, it took everything within her to get up enough courage to do that. Because what if he had not healed her and she had touched those around her? Could you imagine how upset the crowd would have been with her? She was taking such a chance to even do this. I'm sure that she wanted to just touch very quickly and just let me just hide away. In a large crowd, she probably would have normally gone unnoticed. Someone touching Jesus or brushing up against him or even a tug would not have been unusual in a large crowd. Think about the times you have been in a large crowd. It's not unusual for someone to bump up against you. It would not have been unusual for someone to have bumped up against Jesus during this large crowd. But as soon as she touched the hem of his garment, he specifically noticed her tug. Of all those that were around him, of all of those that were bumping and going around, he was on a purpose of going to go see someone else. And so I'm sure that in all of the movement, there were other people touching and brushing up against him, but it was specifically when she touched the hem of his garment that he noticed. And it was because when she did, he felt power go out of him. There was power that went out of him, healing power, and he stopped and he turns and questions, who touched me? Jesus didn't rebuke her for touching him. as most would have, as a ritually unclean female. But instead, he welcomed and affirmed her by calling her a precious name. He called her daughter. He called her daughter. Can you imagine when was probably the last time she had ever been called daughter? that she'd ever been called a name or a word that was affectionate or kind. All of these examples show how Jesus valued people. 
Jesus valued people of all walks of life. It didn't matter if they were poor, didn't matter if they were sick, it didn't matter if they were the least of these as children, it didn't matter if they were the least of these as women, it did not matter. He valued all people. He valued the unvaluable. How are we to follow in this example? We're to value people. We're to value people in those who would be considered less than, in those who are in need, those that are sick, poor, different. You know, my mom has always been a wonderful example to me. And growing up, I remember watching her become such a friend to a young lady in our church who was mentally handicapped. And I watched that example. I watched my sister become very close to a young lady who was deaf. And so my sister did everything that she could to learn sign language so that she could communicate with her. We have to value people, not see them as less than, but to see the value in each one. Because I believe that when God looks down on heaven, he looks and he sees the potential and the value in every single one of us. And he loves every single one of us. And he wants us to do the same to others and with others. Let's look at how Jesus interacted with demons. Cause this always interests me and fascinated me. Always think about when I was going to church camp, this has been many years ago, going to church camp. Um, I loved church camp. I went to church camp every opportunity that I most possibly could go. And I loved it. And I remember one year that we were there, they had brought a group of boys from um, a home to attend church camp. And these were young boys that had already been dealing with addictions at very young ages. They were teenagers like we were. And I remember during that week that um, two of the boys that they had brought that had been dealing with these addictions and they were trying to help them and here they had brought them to church camp. Two of them had ended up being demon possessed. And I remember watching literally from like from here to that front seat um, as a demon was speaking out of one of these young boys. And I've never, ever forgotten that. You don't forget something like that. That's not something that just casually goes away. And I think that as a young girl, that made quite the impression upon me. And I remember um, that's one of the reasons why too, that I, I just, there's so many things on movies and so forth. It's like, mm-mm, not going there. Nope, too close, too real. Nope, not going there, not going anywhere close to it. And I think one of the things that has also caught my attention about Jesus's interaction with demons 
while he was here on this earth is because if you read the scriptures, there was a lot of interaction that took place while Jesus was walking on this earth. But what gets me is how the demon interacted with Jesus. Every single demon he came into contact with knew who he was before he said a word. They knew. In Mark 1, 21 through 22, it says, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue, again, the local teaching house and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Remember how last week he had said, give respect to the scribes and to the Pharisees, but don't be like them. Here he is saying, um, here he was preaching and teaching as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, what business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons had to acknowledge who Jesus was, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions and crying out with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of him. In Matthew 8, 28 through 34, when he came to the other side, this is Jesus, to the country of Gergesenes, forgive me, I did know how to say it earlier, but now it's leaving me. Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Do you notice how they put Jesus with God? Holy one of God, son of God. Have you come here to torment us before the time? As we remember the story, Jesus cast the demons out and the demons said, please don't let us just go anywhere. There is a herd of pigs, send us into the herd of pigs. So Jesus sends them in to the herd of pigs and the pigs then go running off of a cliff and into the water. Mark 1, 34 says, and Jesus healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. There are many other examples of Jesus and his encounters with demons. And you're probably thinking, Krista, why in the world would you bring this part up? Like, why? Why, why bring this up? Who wants to talk about these things? You know, there was a time, I remember um, many years ago, anyone remember Frank Peretti writing the book, This Present Darkness, okay? And then there was a man and his name just totally went out of my brain at this moment, but we used to listen to the radio a lot. And he dealt a lot with things like this. Thank you, appreciate it. I remember listening to him in the radio with my mom, absolutely. And you know, it's sort of like we kind of got away from talking about these things. Do you think they went away? 
No. There is a spiritual battle that takes place around us all the time. We can't see it, but it's there. There is a spiritual battle going on at all times. One of the things that we have to remember in all of this is that Satan is created. He was created. Don't ever, ever, ever put Jesus and Satan on the same level. Never. Satan cannot be everywhere at one time. God can. Satan has to have a bunch of helpers to do what he does. God doesn't. God just has to speak the word and it's done. He doesn't need the help. He uses help, but he doesn't have to have it. Satan, on the other hand, he does. That's why he has demons that go out and do his bidding. But here's the thing. The demons knew Jesus and who he was, and they always acknowledged him. They acknowledged him as the son of God, and they saw him as the holy one of God. Here's what I want us to get from this. You're probably thinking, Krista, why do I need to know how any of this works? Why do I need to know? Guys, we're still dealing with this today. You turn on anything and you start seeing some of these people. Okay, I'm going there. Warning. You see some of these people who are protesting these things. They're protesting for abortion. They're protesting for all these rights. And when they start screaming and hackling and doing all of these things, do you not think that that is some sort of oppression and possession? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We are dealing with these things even today. And that is why we as Christians cannot put our head in the sand and just say, Mm-mm, not happening to me, not around me, not around the people I know, not around the people I encounter. Get your head out of the sand. Because let me tell you, I believe that as we are moving more and more into the last days and more and more of the darkness that is feeling over this world, we are going to have to become more spiritually alert to these things. We cannot be spiritually blind to the spiritual war that is going on around us. I think what happened is years ago, there was so much of this thing of spiritual warfare that it was almost like there was a demon under every rock. So we went to that extreme because that's normally what Christians do. We're really good at extremes. So we went to that extreme and now we've gone to a whole other extreme where we won't want to even talk about it or touch any of it with a 10 foot pole because well, uh, nope, not going there. And then we become ignorant to what is going on around us. We cannot be ignorant. Here's what I want us to get from this. The demons knew who Jesus was in relation to God the Father. I'm going to say that again. When the demons came into contact with Jesus, the demons knew who Jesus was 
in relation to God the Father. I want to be the kind of Christian that when that junk starts getting close and around me and I have to interact with somebody or I have to interact on a topic or in a situation or in a circumstance where there is spiritual warfare, I want it to be known my relationship to the Father. I want them to know who I am in the Father and that they have no power, they have no authority because I am covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Jesus provided a way through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave and my surrendering my life to him, I can then be in a close relationship with the Father That is something like that starts to come up against me or my family, or I have to start dealing with it because of somebody else brought their junk around me. They know who I am in Jesus Christ and with God the Father. Guys, we cannot be blind to these things. I want them to have the same reaction of recognizing me as a child of God, covered by the blood of Jesus, led by Holy Spirit, untouchable in Jesus' name and protected by the power of God. Hey, don't be afraid. When you are a blood-washed, spirit-filled, Sins forgiven, Jesus is in your life. You cannot be possessed. You cannot. That stuff has to flee in the name of Jesus. But we've got to have some spiritual insight to know when we are dealing with these things. Because I'm telling you, Satan's time is short and he is running around like a crazy thing doing all that he can. If you don't believe me, I know many of us don't want to watch the news and and be aware of things that are happening anymore because it's like, nope, if I don't know, I don't have to think about it. Guess what? It's still there. And some of the things that I am seeing is downright demonic. How are we going to fight it? How are we going to fight it in the spiritual if we want to just keep our head in the sand? and try to ignore it. We cannot. We need spiritual eyes that are open to the junk that is coming about in our society, in our world, in our school systems, in our workplace, on the TV, on the radio, on our phones. We have got to become spiritually aware. Let's look at how we can follow Jesus's example in taking care of our spiritual health and relationship to the Father. We see examples of Jesus going away to spend time with God the Father in prayer. We see it in Mark, we see it in Luke. There are many scriptures where it talks about Jesus would go away and spend time by himself in prayer. 
Mark 6, 46, Luke 6, 12, Luke 9, 18, Luke 9, 28, Luke 11, 1 are just some of the examples. We also have one of the greatest examples in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus obviously saw the need for strengthening himself in the Lord. Jesus himself saw the importance of getting alone with God. Jesus himself knew when he was spiritually dry, when he was spiritually empty, when he was spiritually needing to be filled up again so that he could pour out again. And he would take the time to set aside to go be with his father. David in the Old Testament strengthened himself in the Lord his God in 1 Samuel 30 and verse six. Jesus also knew the power of the scriptures. For in Luke 4, one through 13, we have Jesus who used the scriptures to combat Satan's temptations in the wilderness. Every single time Satan would come against Jesus and say, let's do this, or I'm gonna take you there, or I'll give you this. Jesus would come back with a scripture and it would shut Satan down. Jesus, think about this. Jesus was a self-taught rabbi and teacher. He was not a formal, 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 there we go, teacher of that day, but he was respected and called a rabbi because of all that he knew. Rabbis often functioned as leaders of the synagogue where they provided instruction in Hebrew scripture and Jewish traditions. They would preach sermons and they would interpret the Old Testament. While Jesus was never part of the official temple leadership, he was considered a rabbi because of his ministry of teaching and that he had students that followed his teachings. And at the age of 12, Jesus was found in the temple court sitting among the teachers. Remember when they were all traveling and Mary and Joseph, they can't find Jesus. So that after three days, they turn around and they're like, wait a second. They thought he was probably with family or friends in the caravan. So after three days, they're like, hey, I haven't seen my son. I need to go find him. So they turn around and they go back and they find him in the temple at 12 years old. He was listening to the teachers and the rabbis of that time and he was asking them questions and everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. We should follow Jesus's example of praying, spending time in the presence of God, strengthening ourselves in relationship to God, meditating and knowing the scriptures. That's why whenever the demons came around Jesus, they knew who he was because Jesus was in relationship with the father because Jesus took time to pray and to, and to study in the scriptures and to strengthen himself in the Lord. Jesus's prayer in the garden of Gethsemane is a great example for us to follow in regards to surrender and God's will. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the account of Jesus praying in the garden right before his betrayal and then on the death of the cross. Then death on the cross. 
Jesus knew what was ahead of him. He knew what was coming. He knew that the cross was near. The cross was a, um, a normal thing for that time. I'm sure that Jesus had probably seen other people who had been crucified in his journeys, in his trips. He probably had seen others hanging on a cross. Could you imagine knowing that that was your destiny? That's going to be me. Can you imagine? He knew that. He knew the torture that the cross would bring. The cross was not something new to him. He had a picture of it in his mind. But Jesus prayed to God and said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was so willing to surrender himself to God the Father, even to the point of death. Could Jesus have run from God's will? Yeah. Yeah, he could have. Tells us that Jesus could have called down legions of angels to deliver him. I looked up what legions of angels would be. That could be anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000 angels. He could have called down to deliver him from the cross. But instead he chose to surrender to the will of God. What an example for us to follow, a life of surrender to God the Father. Jesus was the ultimate example of that. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We have looked at six different ways in which we can follow Jesus's example and therefore live a life as a follower of Jesus Christ. We've looked at his interaction with non-believers. Say it again, it was always out of compassion. It was always seeing them as someone in need. Remember last week I said, why do we get so bent out of shape when we see a non-believer acting like a non-believer? What if we would start looking at non-believers, not just with frustration and, and disgust that we often feel, but what if we would look at them and say, they're lost. They don't know my Jesus. They don't have Holy Spirit working in them. And I may be the only one to give them Jesus today. If we looked at people that way, those people that irritate us and frustrate us and drive us crazy because they're making silly, stupid choices and decisions and they're living ungodly lives and they're bringing it to work and they're bringing it to the family reunions and the family gatherings and everything else and you just wanna go up to them and you just wanna shake them and say, get it straight. What's wrong with you? I've been there. But what if we looked at them and said, they're lost. They don't know my Jesus the way that I know my Jesus and they need him. Man, could you imagine our interaction with them? 
We see how Jesus interacted with believers. Man, he made it clear he does not like pride. He made it clear he does not like pettiness. He did not like them wasting their time on pettiness. Remember how I mentioned the board meetings and the annual meeting that we have to have to vote on this, that, and the other? What if we weren't so petty and we just got on to the more important things? They want to paint the walls a different color. What does it matter in all of eternity? Are we reaching souls? Are we staying true to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we staying true to the Bible and what it says? Are we standing firm on the word of God? Let that be what you get petty about, not some of the other stuff. How Jesus interacted with those in need. We looked at how he reacted to the poor, the sick, those that were considered less than children and women. He looked at all people as those that had value. He looked at all people as those that had value. Aren't you glad that he looks at you and he can look past the junk and he can see the value of who you are because of what he has done for you? We've looked at how Jesus interacted with demons or rather how demons interacted with him. I want the demons to know who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of God. I am saved. I am set free. I am delivered. I am being sanctified. I am seeking after righteousness. I am covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is within my life. I am listening and trying to be obedient to Holy Spirit. That's who I am. And I want them to know it. So you try to bring your mess my way. I know how to speak the name of Jesus. I know how to speak the name of Jesus. And I know there is power and authority in the name of Jesus. We've looked at how Jesus took care of his own spiritual health and relationship with God. He knew the importance of getting away to spend time with the Father. He knew it was important that when Satan brought temptation after temptation to him in the wilderness, Jesus knew, give him scripture, he can't fight scripture. Listen, if you have somebody that wants to argue with you, hey, this is how I feel when I preach you and I speak. If it's what the Bible says, you have to take that up with God. Get as mad at me as you want to. But if it's what Jesus says in the Bible, if it's what the word of God says, you got to take that up with him. We need to know the scriptures. Don't wait to hear the scriptures just on Sundays and Wednesdays. Oh my goodness. Guys, we can't. We can't just say, well, I've gone to church today. I heard my scripture. I turned on the radio today. I heard a preacher preaching. I heard my scripture. 
You know what? Sometimes, honestly, this is gonna be bad for every career pastor out there. Sometimes we need to turn them off and just simply get in the Bible. Sometimes you need people like me to be like, okay, Krista, I heard you, that's great, that's wonderful, maybe you hated it, I don't know, but anyway, but there are times you need to turn off other voices and just go to the Bible and just say, God, you speak to me in what I am reading. Don't neglect that. Don't think that just because you listen to every preacher and teacher on radio and on the TV, you're getting it. Sometimes you need to turn them off. Get in your Bible and it just be you and God. God, you speak to me. You speak to me. He can speak to you. He doesn't always have to be going through somebody else to speak to you. He can speak to you. We've also looked at how Jesus was willing to surrender to the will of God the Father. May we also surrender to the will of God the Father. You know, that's what this whole Christian life is. It's us surrendering. It's that constant surrendering. We've talked about how the word Christian was originally an insult to those who followed the ministry and teaching of Jesus and how we can put great value on the word Christian, but truly not follow in the steps of Jesus. And call ourselves a Christians, but not truly be following his example. We can call ourselves a Christian, but truly not walking as Jesus did. We are encouraged to live in such a way that we do not cheapen the word Christian or associate the word Christian with things that truly are not Christ-like. Because if you look out on everybody's Facebook page, you look on this, that, or the everybody's a Christian, it seems. Let's not cheapen it. Let's live it. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a disciple. It means to change. It means change has to come in our lives. We have to grow in him. We have to grow up. We have to grow closer to him. We have to deny ourselves and our flesh. We have to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those things that are right in the sight of God, we are to interact and respond as Jesus did. Oh, guys, my interaction, my response, my reaction. Whoo, that's where I struggle. Because I can react like that. I can respond like that. I used to be the most sarcastic thing you have ever seen in your entire life. When I was younger, I just don't even know how people stood me. I wasn't that way with my mom and dad. Was I, mom? No. <laughs> but I was so sarcastic. The Lord has to help me with my interaction, my reaction, my response. Why? Because my reaction and my response is the first thing that comes out, right? So I'm constantly having to pray, oh Jesus, help me with how I respond. Help me with how I react. 
I've even had to pray, God, slow me down. Make me have to stop and think before I speak. Now I'm to the point where I'm just struggling to find my words. Anybody else there? Yeah. Woo. I have to ask Holy Spirit to help me with that all the time. We're going to read as we're finishing up. Miss Tina, if you can get that for me. This is the scripture that I have used, but I want to go a little bit further into it. So in Ephesians 5, 1 through 21, I want you, if you could, take this scripture, make it as part of your devotions the rest of this week. Ephesians 5, 1 through 21, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Bible. I love the Amplified Bible. My daughter's so right. It sounds like one giant run-on sentence for those of you that know grammar, which she does. That's why she notices it, but she loves it too. Um, but I really enjoy the Amplified Bible. So let's, we're gonna, I'm gonna read it to you, but please follow along with me. Therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him. Follow his example. As well, beloved children, imitate their father and walk in love, esteeming and delighting in one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a slain offering and sacrifice to God for you so that it became a sweet fragrance. But immorality, sexual vice, and all impurity of lustful, rich, wasteful living or greediness must not even be named among you as is fitting and proper among saints. God consecrated, God's consecrated people. Let there be no filthiness, obscenity, indecency, nor foolishness and sinful, silly and corrupt talk, nor coarse gesturing, which are not fitting or becoming, but instead voice your faithfulness to God. For be sure of this, that no person practicing sexual vice or impurity in thought, in thought or in life or one who is covetous, who has lustful desire for the property of others and is greedy for gain for he in effect is an adulterer has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one delude and deceive you with empty excuses and groundless arguments for these sins. For through these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of rebellion and disobedience. So do not associate or be sharers with them. For once you were darkness... Hold on. For once, you and I were darkness, but now you and I are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
lead the lives of those native born to the light. For the fruit, the effect, the product of the light or of the spirit consists in every form of kindly goodness, uprightness of heart and trueness of life and try to learn in your experience what is pleasing to the Lord. Let your lives be consistent proofs of what is most acceptable to him. Take no part in and have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds and enterprises of darkness, but instead let your lives be so in contrast as to expose and reprove and convict them. For it is a shame even to speak of or to mention the things that such people practice in secret. But when anything is exposed and reproved by the light, it is made visible and clear. And where everything is visible and clear, there is light. Therefore, he says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ shall shine, make day dawn upon you and give you light. Look carefully then how you walk. Ready? Look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people, making the very most of the time, buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Speak out to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, offering praise with voices and instruments and making melody with all your heart to the Lord at all times and for everything, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God the Father. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And is that it? I'm telling you, if that script, those scriptures right there don't get you, wow. Now, I read that out of the Amplified Bible. I encourage you to read it out of the King James, the New King James, the New Living, the NIV, the ESV, whatever. Get into it. Read those scriptures. It's telling us to be light. It's telling us to walk as Jesus did. It's telling us how to stand. And I'm telling you, as we all can see, we have got to be followers of Jesus Christ in such a way. We have got to be followers of Jesus Christ in such a way that others see and they know who we serve. Amen? 
That's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. But I know this, we have Holy Spirit. We have Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit is in us. And because we have Holy Spirit in us, we have the power, we have the help, we have the strength, not because of us, but because greater is he that is in us than him that is in the world, right? Amen, amen. Would you all stand with me, please? Whoo, six points, guys, we made it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.